Whatever your idea of a typical drag queen is, I'm willing to bet it's a far cry from Martha Graham Cracker. The world's tallest, hairiest drag queen, coming up. We could take it slowly Or we could get insane No one ever got anywhere By playing it safe This is All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. On today's show, we talk with Dito Van Rijgersberg, the man behind the drag queen known as Martha Graham Cracker. Martha performed here at Grinnell in the fall, and Dito sat down with me for a chat before the show. Even back then, Martha provided some much-needed laughs and great music, and right now those feel even more important. We talk about the world of drag, where Martha fits into that world, and the wonderful ways in which weird spaces give us permission to explore who we are. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of Grinnell College. After graduating from college, Dito Van Rijgersberg moved to New York, where he studied theater and the Martha Graham dance technique. He then moved back to Philly, where he helped found the Pig Iron Theater Company. And that's where the story of Martha Graham Cracker started to take shape. Dito transforms from a really tall, hairy man into an even taller, just as hairy, drag queen. Dito's chest hair is matched only by the amount of flirting he does during the show. Unlike many a drag queen, Martha sings rather than lip syncs. And boy does she sing. From Martha Originals to covers of Prince and the Beatles, she belts out the songs, and her performances are a rousing combination of great music, improv, and comedy. Just a heads up, if you're listening to this with the little kiddos around, Dito, and Martha for that matter, have a bit of a naughty side. A little more PG-13 than PG. Nothing to be scared of, but you might want to put the headphones on if you have innocent ears around. Dito actually graduated from a liberal arts college himself, Swarthmore, which is how he ended up visiting Grinnell after connecting with Professor of French, David Harrison. I first saw Martha Graham Cracker perform at a reunion of Swarthmore College. Uh, Dito and I were both students at Swarthmore College, but we did not uh, overlap, and so we actually did not uh, know each other at college. But we shared some of the same academic experiences And I was so engaged by the performance. And in particular, I found the song arrangements so clever and creative that I immediately knew that I would have to invite Martha to perform at Grinnell College. I've also seen Martha perform in her regular uh, Philadelphia performance space. And there again, I, I was just wowed by the uh, the creativity, uh, the thoughtfulness, the intelligence that goes into um, both the character and the performance of Martha Graham Cracker. I think it's a really smart commentary on society, on gender, but also a really smart adaptation of various forms of uh, musical production to bring people together and to create a just a, just an entertaining event. You get so nervous when I walk, I walk on by. 
service I'll feed you sweet mashed potato pie You got that knee shake Dito performed at Grinnell back in November, but I wanted to take it back to before that, and even before Martha, when Dito first found the world of theater. My parents would take me to the theater a lot when I was a kid, and then I remember we did like a, like an abridged version of Midsummer Night's Dream when I was in sixth grade, and I was in it, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, you just, I don't know. I think it, like, I really believed in the magic of it, mm. and I really was like, we had we actually had like theater lights and someone made mushrooms <laughs> for the forest and I don't know it was really I feel like I have this memory in sixth grade of like sitting around a table and reading the play and making other people laugh and I was like that's a drug uh-huh. yeah. that's a that's a drug I could get used to uh-huh. so uh, and then in high school and then uh, let's forget about junior high because junior high is Horrible for most people. So, and I'm no exception. So junior high was like awful. I was like the most awkward person and people were teasing me and I would cry and blah, blah, blah. And then, but then you get to high school and you're like, okay, I've gone through my awkward phase. Now what? And freshman year, I took uh, a drama class and I was like, these are my people. Uh These are my people. Just in terms of like, we were the weirdos, as often is it is in in high schools. You're like, oh, the drama people are the weirdos right. of their of yep. the high school. Yep, that is common perception. Yeah, and so I think I was just excited to to be in a room with people who were like, oh, like playing characters is fun, doing silly voices is fun. I like singing the song or speaking with this ridiculous accent, um, and just like. I think it felt like the rest of the high school was very like uh, straight edged, straight edge and kind of um, trying to prove something about coolness and about you should respect me and you should. I just was like, I'm not interested in any of that mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and and or any of those ideas about conformity. And I, I'm really more interested in how funny people are like joking around with people and also like exchanging real ideas with people in a nerdy way. Yeah. So I think I'm like, I'm a comedy nerd Uh kind of person, a nerdy comic. Um, Yeah. So I, yeah, I think the theater really helped me find people who are both like nonconformists and they're like, they're thinking and percolating and Mm. experimenting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool to, to find your people as as early as as high school. Yeah. Yeah. That's valuable. Um totally. So from high school in Virginia you went to Swarthmore College in I did. Philadelphia. A small I don't know if this sounds familiar to you at all but it's a small liberal arts college. I've heard of them. In a town <laughs> that's also kind of small and quaint and has beautiful architecture. Yeah. When I got here last night uh driven by Billy. Thank you Billy. Uh, Billy was giving me a nice giving us all a nice tour. And I was like, this campus reminds me so much of Swarthmore. Uh-huh. Um, it's a similar size. I think we're 1,500 and you guys are like 1,600. Yeah. yeah. But it seems like Grinnell is even more internationally focused. And there's a lot. I, I read somewhere that's like students from all 50 states and from 50 countries. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is right now. It changes every year. But yeah, right. there's 
large international student body for sure. Yeah. So I arrived at Swarthmore. I thought I was going to be an English major. There was a moment where I had, I had a, not a fight, but I had a difference of opinion with some of the theater department, and I was like, maybe I will be an English major. I hate you guys. No, uh, <laughs> no, I just was going through something, uh-huh. and then I figured out a way to like get over that, and and I became a theater major in earnest, and then I I founded my theater company soon after, which is called Pig Iron Theater Company, yeah. based in Philly, uh, but. All the original founding members of Pig Iron were from Swarthmore. Swatties. Swatties, nice. exactly. Do you guys have an Grinellians? Grinellians, yep, you nailed it. Grinellians. <laughs> Is there a shorter way of saying it? Or you just have to say the whole thing. You got it. You kind of got to say like it all. Like l- Lilliputians. <laughs> Grinellians. Grinellian. Oh, hello, Grinellian. Uh, Is, I, know, I know Swarthmore has a healthy amount of weirdness. Is that kind of where you started to, to embrace the weird? I was just talking uh, earlier today about how I had only really been exposed to more commercial or like regional theater uh-huh. as a kid. So that's what I knew. And then at Swarthmore, I was exposed to something that kind of blew my mind, which was like physical theater, devised theater, um, ensemble-based theater. And I just started to realize like, oh, the theater is so much wider a palette than mm-hmm. I ever thought. So – yeah, so uh, I would say the Swarthmore is where I, I really got exposed to more radical ideas about what uh-huh. what performance could do. Hmm. Um, so you eventually then, after graduating, founded Pig Iron, um, but you moved to New York before heading to Philadelphia again, or returning mm-hmm. to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Did the whole kind of move to New York, be a young, creative person thing, which sounds exciting and Terrifying and alluring, but yeah. also tiring. So how did you end yeah. up um, back in Philadelphia and start starting that theater company? So after Swarthmore, I didn't really know what my next step would be, but I was like, oh, I feel like New York is, it's, you know, it's two hours away at the most. And the idea is like, I need to know what New York is like, even if I never live there again, but I just mm-hmm. sort of, sort of want to have that experience. And so I went to acting school, a place called the Neighborhood Playhouse, where uh, I studied kind of more realistic acting techniques. And I, that's also where I first saw drag. Okay. And that's where I also studied at the Martha Graham School of Contemporary Dance. Uh-huh. So all of these things were kind of swirling. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like the... Mid nineties, and uh, yeah, I would say I first li- with my roommate, we went out and we saw my first drag show, which was a drag queen named Joey Arias, who's famous for um, channeling Billy Holiday. Mm. Like he's a very goofy, flirty, raunchy person who. Definitely will like take the wireless mic and stick it down some man's pants and then speak into the mic <laughs> while the mic is in that man's pants. But then sometimes we'll like totally still the room in a very like almost like holy way with this sudden channeling of Billie Holiday. And uh-huh. we're like, what? Yeah. She's coming through this other body, but it's her. Uh-huh. So he's a really interesting person that he was the first 
kind of model, I guess, for what a, a drag queen could be. Yeah. And uh, and then I would joke around about what I would name myself if I were a drag queen. And mm-hmm. Martha Graham was someone who I never met, but I studied her technique. And um, I was studying there for almost three years. And uh, you just hear all these stories about what a strange diva she was, Martha Graham. Yeah. And uh, she was kind of a drinker, but she was also inventing a whole new technique that the world had never seen before. And even today when you see a Graham dance, it's weird. Yep. It's really bizarre. I was watching some of it last night. Yeah, it's wild. And and so I think back then it would have been even more wild. So I, there's something about Martha Graham herself who I think is both – like a tragic figure who's like, I drink, I drink because I'm lonely and I'm a genius, and uh, it's not easy carrying the burden of all this genius, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, which is also like a ridiculous thing to think. But I think maybe she did think that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I, and I, th- I feel sort of attracted to all of those. Uh, those are pretentious ideas about yourself, and also like, I want to dare to be that. Bold and full and full of yourself. Full of myself. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, part of getting up on stage for me, not as as Dito, but as Martha, is um because I think of myself, Dito is much more um kind of demure and humble. And I think that that when I turn into Martha, there's a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm in control of this room. What I say goes. I'm in charge. And there's a there's a real it's weird how becoming this character gives me a kind of power that I don't carry around with me in the daytime. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know what that is, mm. uh, but it's always happened. Yeah. That when I turn into her, that there's like some people might say, it's just like you're accessing a different part of your psyche. And some people might be like, it is a possession. Uh, my dad was very nervous to see Martha Graham Cracker for a long mm-hmm. time. And then when he came to see her for the first time, he was like, it's your grandmother. <laughs> and I was like, what? He was like, it's just your grandmother coming through. Uh-huh. Which, and I don't know how... That had to be weird for you to think of also. Yeah, I had never thought of the character that way. And I also, I never... And I still don't know if he meant something more spiritual or more like you're just imitating your grandmother. Mm. Because he said, it's your grandmother coming through. So I don't know if that meant like, of course you're related to your grandmother and you are taking on some of her characteristics when you play that part. Or Uh if it's just like, your grandmother who no longer is on this mortal plane is possessing you. (laughs) My grandmother was very much a diva. Uh She was an actress. She was a pianist. She was a concert pianist that was very successful when she was in her teens. Mm. And she just had this thing, like a Gloria Swanson thing of like long red fingernails and she was a smoker (laughs) and she had this like red lipstick and ways of like ordering people around in this very, she would say like, don't you think it's martini time? (laughs) Which is a command, but it doesn't sound like a command. It's like, oh, that's so nice. But it actually means like, go get me a martini (laughs) right now. You're like, oh. Uh, So... So, yeah, there's some sort of weird mystery about what part of my brain comes comes out when I'm her. Yeah. 
how did you kind of fuse, you know, your experiences from traditional theater, more radical theater, physical theater, and then maybe your grandma or just like other parts of you that mm-hmm. you didn't normally express during your daily life or even in your other theatrical stuff that you were doing. How did that come about into Martha Graham Cracker Cabaret? And like, how did how did that mm-hmm. actually come into a, a formal existence in the form of shows that people get to see? Hmm. At first it was truly a side project. It was like Pig Iron Theater Company. I was co-artistic director and a company member. And I, we, that was really my full-time gig. And so like I guess once a month I would perform as Martha. And I was like, oh, this is just fun. Hmm. And it and it was fun. still is. But it's uh, – I never really thought of it taking off as much as it, I uh-huh. guess it has. And yeah, I, I guess – Maybe partly Pig Iron is, is founded by a lot of, I would say is mainly a straight company. Uh-huh. And so maybe it was my way of like expressing the the queer parts of me and having mm-hmm. that come to the fore as a performer. I've always enjoyed singing. My mom was always like, you you sang in the shower since you were like eight. Uh-huh. Um, so that singing was always going to be part of something I wanted to do. And uh, so I started doing it. And it was just me and Victor at first, who's the pianist and mm-hmm. m- myself. But then this place called Latage, which is my kind of home base in Philadelphia, offered us a gig per month. Mm. And that kind of – it was a steady gig, which is both good money-wise and also in terms of practicing the like – the repetition and like building the muscles of playing this character mm-hmm. and doing the show. Um, and that was 13, 13 years ago. Wow. Maybe 14 at who's, this point. Who's counting? Who's counting? But anyway, <laughs> but so I, I, that was a real turning point where I, I had to take it seriously because it was going to happen every month mm. indefinitely. Uh-huh. So I always thought of it as like a little lark thing that I would do outside of my main job. Yeah. yeah. And then it started to take over and it's, you know. Um, now it took me actually to Las Vegas. I did a uh, show there and I, now we tour a bunch as Martha Graham Cracker Cabaret to New York, to Joe's pub, to Grinnell, to, we've been to Minneapolis several times. Uh, we've been to California, Texas. Anyway, it's exciting to, to have made something that people like, I guess enough that there's demand for it beyond Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about like whether Martha was like this character was inside of you all along or like whether you, you know, how much it was that versus you kind of creating the character. Mm-hmm. But then I I was thinking also like maybe maybe Martha represents kind of like what's inside of a lot of us and like what we aren't, what we don't feel like we can express normally, whether it's because of our, our bodies or what society tells us about our bodies or what mm-hmm. we tell us about our bodies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that Martha is kind of what, you know, People aren't telling you not to do kind of a thing. Yeah. I sometimes teach cabaret. And when I do, I I often use the word permission. Mm. And that cabaret is like, there's a reason why cabaret happens not in the morning. (laughs) Like it happens at night (laughs) when mischief feels more possible. And it's always, there's always (laughs) alcohol in a bar and, uh, like a rowdiness. And I think there's a real permission to, try on things that don't 
feel like they would be as permissible in the light of day mm -hmm. and, you know, busting out of our everyday constraint constraints and our puritanical <laughs> culture. And, yeah. I guess it's so funny. I've never traced all the way back to like sixth grade reading Mitzvah's Dream around a table. But like making people laugh mm. still feels really important and really feels like something people will always need. Yeah. And I also think, and it's felt especially true ever since computers and iPhones are so much a part of our lives that, that um, people are hungry for a live body-to-body experience where yeah. you can't get it through any other medium but being there yeah and that it's a live experience where they're very aware that i'm kind of surfing what the reality is in the moment uh that i'm improvising and that that there's always this like reiteration that we're all here together uh -huh. and we're enjoying this together or we're experiencing this together or we're laughing yeah. together there's a i don't know I'm not a particularly religious or spiritual person, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I think that does feed something in me mm -hmm. of, uh, or maybe just the word is community. Yeah. Just yeah. a connection that kind of transcends the normal, like, I'm talking to you experience. Yeah, or I'm just like texting and emailing you. Especially that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why we like going to concerts, you know? Absolutely. So for those listeners that that won't be privy to the performance here at the college tonight. Can you give them an idea of what they're what they're missing out on tonight in like a, a typical show if there is one? Because I know there's also a lot of improv in there yes. as well. But you know, kind of basic outline sketch. Um, I can kind of tell you behind the scenes what I do. Ooh. <laughs> I get dressed in some sort of crazy glamorous costume, mm -hmm. but I'm also I almost always am showing my hairy chest yes sometimes my hairy shoulders but i have a full face of makeup on so there's that kind of like oh that person is confusing <laughs> and hopefully by the end of the night you're delighted by the confusion uh -huh. and there's a lot of arrangements of songs that may be familiar but then we've we've added our little twist uh -huh. to them and what i was gonna say about behind the scenes um so we'll determine the the set list so of our of our repertory of songs, we'll choose maybe nine. And then I'll sort of be thinking about like, oh, that's in an order for a reason, even if it's kind of arbitrary. And then I'll have a little moment to like reflect, think about things that I want to talk about. Uh -huh. But then it's sort of like a free fall jumping out of the airplane. Like when the show starts, sing a song, then I just start talking. Uh-huh. And see how that leads to the next song. And I usually try to plan some like landmarks for myself in terms of what I'm going to say. But I also like, I think if I plan it too much, you can smell that yeah. in the audience. Mm -hmm. So I really want people to be like, oh, this is not canned pre-written material. This mm -hmm. is happening. And that drag queen is looking me in the eyes or like is discovering this thing about this person in the audience. So there's a lot of audience interaction. And then I really love telling like shaggy dog stories. Do you know what I mean by shaggy dog story? Yeah. Like a, like a story that is just ridiculous and goes on and on. Um, usually about romantic encounters gone gone terribly wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then there's this amazing band. Often people say, the band is tight. 
because the band, <laughs> my band is really good and uh -huh. they're familiar songs, but maybe with a different feel. I think the music sounds really good. Yeah. So that's part of what you take home too. But one of my favorite compliments that I've ever gotten is that people say that, <laughs> say that Martha Graham Cracker shows make their faces hurt. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean exactly? And they're like, oh, because I was laughing or smiling so much that I didn't even realize. And then I was like sore from yeah. smiling. Yeah. And I'm like, if that can be my journey through life, my calling, uh -huh. I'm happy. Yeah. Because there's so many things to worry about. Yeah. There's so many reasons to be like, is the earth going to continue as a planet? And there's reasons to panic and there are reasons to be afraid and angry and, and it's not like i'm i'm avoiding those mm -hmm. but i do think that people sometimes need a reprieve yeah. from those or some gas in the tank to keep up the energy to resist yeah yeah are there any particular songs that that you and the band like i know it's, you kind of don't do the typical drag songs you know right um, right but I was listening to some, and there were definitely some some recognizable songs, but in you know in a different way. Yeah, d done in a different feel. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have a tango version of "Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow." <laughs> That's fun to do. Uh, yeah, and and sometimes we'll do like a Van Halen song, a drag queen doing a Van Halen song. <laughs> it's so strange. Uh, but if you look at David Lee Roth, that's kind of a form of drag. Like, uh -huh. There's a lot of leopard prints and hair. Yeah. Um, and I think makeup. Um, part of the reason why we, why David brought us here, David Harrison, he saw me do a show at Swarthmore and we did a version, we did a, a, a four song medley called the Beatles medley. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Beatles medley has all, all those songs are in different fields than they normally are. Yeah. And they have different uh, meanings than uh -huh. they normally do. It was like good. we have a very angry <laughs> version of Let It Be. Yeah. <laughs> Let it be where it's like, it's almost like punk rock or Kurt Vile anger uh -huh. um, coming at you, but through this Beatles song that I don't think was meant to be sung that way. <laughs> and in my hour of standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Yeah, so I'm very proud of that medley. As you indicated, your performances are definitely more than just singing, though. There's a good deal of improv and, and audience interaction. Um, how do you kind of connect with the audience to, you know, create that kind of more shared experience together? Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine most of the places that you play outside of Las Vegas are a little more small and intimate kind of venues where you yeah. can have that interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, how do I do that? Yeah. Hmm. I definitely think there's a, by being vulnerable myself or by the the character, she's vulnerable herself. I think that kind of disarms people. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people imagine that they're going to a drag show where they might get called on. They're very <laughs> afraid. They're like, oh no, there's going to be like a mean drag queen who's ready to like, who's like ready to be bitchy and like, like find ways to read me and be like, uh -huh. Like, there is a kind of drag queen that's like, I'm ready to, like, cut you. Yeah. And I'm ready to, like, insult you as much as I can. And that's really, that's not Martha. Uh-huh. Martha's very, like, 
wry, and she's I think she's very smart, and she can like put people in their place. Uh-huh. But I don't think she her her mission is probably to fall in love or at mm. least to flirt seriously with uh-huh. everyone in the audience. So as opposed to showing everyone that she can cut a bitch. <laughs> yeah. So she's yeah. I feel like. Actually, one of the rules of a Martha show is that I go out there and I flirt with as many people as I can. <laughs> it's a simple, simple, it's a simple recipe, simple formula. Yeah, yeah. Sing songs and flirt, <laughs> um, and maybe throw out, you know. But also, like every once in a while, because I like to be a little weird. Yeah, I'm also like, let me throw out a polysyllabic word, <laughs> just so that you know. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not your everyday drag queen. Right. I have a, I have, I have a, a swarth more education. <laughs> Exactly. I gotta make it use. Uh, I gotta you gotta use, use it, it somehow. Bit. Yeah. Somehow. So I'm like, here's a polysyllabic word. <laughs> those those Swarthmore degrees aren't nearly as valuable as as a Grinnell degree. So I know you have to you have I to know. you know maybe be creative. Could I get like an honorary degree? While they I'm here? they do give those out. I don't know if I am qualified as the host of this podcast to give you one, but I see, I can do my best. See what you can do. <laughs> see what you can do. Um. So with everything that kind of Martha represents and does, it seems like. A big goal is to make the audience just a touch uncomfortable, kind of, um, mm-hmm. not in a creepy way, but to make, to make them think, you know, and, yeah. and make them question their assumptions. And I saw someone describe it as pleasurable audience disorientation. I like that. How do you walk? Who said that? I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> some, some Philadelphia magazine of, oh, of some variety. Pleasurable audience, audience disorientation. disorientation. Yeah. You should snag that tagline. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> You can you can make that T-shirt and then we'll make the the well endowed Grinnell one. And, and the, well. sh- yeah, the short version is pad, pad, <laughs> pad. So how- I use the pad system to make <laughs> to make the audience come back to the drag show day after day, year after year. So how do you walk the line and kind of push that envelope without going too far? Or do you ever worry about going too far? Yeah. Yes and no. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I think I've performed long enough and I've interacted with enough audiences. You can feel when someone's like, don't touch me. Seriously, don't touch me. Right. I, I can usually feel that. I can smell that right away. Mm-hmm. And again, I think because I'm trying to make myself vulnerable as the character, I, I think the goal is never to like humiliate someone else, uh-huh. which is maybe how I would distinguish Martha in a way, like that she's really, she's not there to read anyone. She's there to share her own like mm-hmm. questions and musings and philosophy and uh frustrations mm-hmm. and uh unrequited love and all those things that uh that everyone experiences but yeah but she's not yeah humiliating people is not her mode uh-huh although like getting someone to the edge of being like oh my god <laughs> can be fun yeah but i i don't want to make someone uncomfortable i, I want to just bring them to the edge of what they what they've experienced yeah. before, maybe stretch them a little stretch bit. Stretch them a little you know? bit. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that—that's I—I always love doing that with my friends, and they know that I like relish in making them expand a little bit and, mm-hmm. and feel a little weird and a little uncomfortable with you know something new. Yeah. Um, whether it's going to even such a, like a small thing like going to a music concert of a band that I know that they're not going to like, you know, like right, right. even in small ways, like I, I just I feel like it's good as a human being to kind of. To go Keep pushing your, out, you know, your comfort zone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And again, people are are hungry for like this communal experience. So if I'm interacting with the audience, it's, 
it's also not to like pick on one person, but it's to make us all feel like, oh, this is less of a performance that is like being sent from the stage to me, but is like a family meeting that we're all part of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think that reinforces a feeling of, of, I don't know, a social, a social delight. Where does Martha fit into the larger world of drag? Mm. Well, I would say there's like a, a kind of drag queen who's reading you or like mm -hmm. aggressive or insulting drag queen that, that she's, I would say she's not. She's also unusual because she's singing. Mm. As Instead of lip syncing. To lip syncing, which I think actually is another key into vulnerability. I think it's impossible to sing and not be a little bit vulnerable because it's your breath creating this sound mm -hmm. through your with your body. I have such respect for lip syncing drag queens, but yeah. it's just a different mm -hmm. mode. Yeah, the fact that I sing, the fact that there's a band, the fact that um, I'm so audience interactive, and yeah, and maybe the fact that I'm like not entirely successful in my illusion of turning into a woman. Uh, yeah. All yeah, of those are part of it. Yeah. Yeah, you're not necessarily trying to be completely, you know, what the audience might expect as a woman, you know, yeah. like there's, there's, you're not, you're not pulling the shade over any of our eyes. No. We can see your chest hair. Yeah. You can see my chest hair and, and you can see. I can see it right now. You can see it right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I feel like maybe what in tandem with this vulnerability is this like, there's some ways in which Martha fails at things. Like mm. she, she thinks that she's a glamorous a movie star, but she's not quite. Right. But she's close. Uh -huh. uh, she thinks she's really slick at flirting and seducing men, but maybe she's a little uh, clumsy. Yeah. And maybe she's like, thinks that she could be good at falling in love, but she's actually not. She doesn't really know <laughs> what she's doing. Um, yeah. And I think people laugh at that and they also recognize that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we all have an idea of what we're supposed to be and then this. There's the reality. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard someone say the the farthest distance in the world is that between how we think things are and how they actually are. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe Martha's got a little of that too. I'm interested in how how Martha's presence in your life has, has changed you, Dito. And, you know, how have you and Martha grown and changed and do you feel like one influences the other and how does that how does that relationship work? Hmm. Well, I said earlier, like, I think Dito is much more shy uh -huh. and uh, less outspoken. But I do think that maybe in playing this character, I've become more comfortable accessing the Martha parts of Dito. So that, I think there's more, there's two things I used to think of as very much, uh, two things that are that were distinct in, in, yeah. distinct in different, like, silos. And now they're starting to grow together. And uh -huh. I would say, if anything, like, Martha gives Dito courage mm -hmm. in his real life to be like, hey, come on. Uh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she's given me a little bravery. Uh -huh. I'm also curious how how the reception to Martha has changed over the, the 13 years that you've been doing it. I mean, when you started, gay marriage in this country was not legal mm -hmm. in all 50 states. Um, not to say that we've, as a country you know, in those 13 years become somehow incredibly accepting of, <laughs> of different, uh, you know, ideas of gender fluidity and sexual orientation. But I think 
made some steps um, yeah. and at least opened opened some minds. So I'm curious how maybe you've seen that through the lens of your performances. Yeah. I guess with the, the advent of RuPaul and, and, and drag really being part of a, of the mass culture, like, like mainstream culture mm-hmm. includes drag, which it didn't used to. I think that's been interesting because people now have an idea of what drag is. So even People who are like, I know what drag is. It's RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm like, well, that's, that's not. <laughs> Let what me I tell do. you, buddy. <laughs> that's not what I do. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. No. But but um, and I I do feel like the kinds of drag are proliferating and fractaling out. Like there's more and more kinds of drag and uh-huh. more and more categories. And I think there are more singing drag queens, and they the kinds of music they sing is becoming more varied and. We used to think of drag as just one thing, and mm-hmm. now I think it's starting to have like um, specificity and categories within it. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's changed. Um, I did my first gay wedding not that long ago, like two years ago, or a year ago. Is that true? Yeah, that was my first gay wedding. Uh-huh. Um, I've done straight weddings. Um, so yeah, I I think change is is going in a positive direction. Though there are signs to the to the opposite, yeah. <laughs> if you look at Washington D.C., um, I think there were people who would, when I first started, who were like nervous to be seen hmm. in my show, and like straight guys were like, "I don't know if I can go to your show," and now that would seem very weird to be like. It sounds quaint and old fashioned to say, but I think there was a thing, even. 10 or 12 years ago, there was like, if I'm seen at a drag show, that means something about who I am. Yeah. And now I think people are much more understanding about, you could be a curious, interested straight man going to see a drag show. And that doesn't mean that you're like, you have all these closeted feelings about wanting to become, to come out or like to be a drag queen yourself. So I feel like this word gender fluid, which is an exciting term that didn't exist uh, uh, for me 10 or 12 years ago. I think there's a real excitement and it's an interesting time of experimentation and new definitions around gender. And I think even straight people, quote unquote, uh, have more permission. There's Mm -hmm. that word again, to, to like swim in the waters of like, Uncertainty. What, what, <laughs> uncertainty or at least of like, oh, I am i don't know that I will ever have sex with a person of my same gender, but I enjoy drag. Or like me going to a drag show doesn't – it sounds really funny to say that now. Like, oh, my God, I'm so scared that someone might have seen me at the drag show. Uh-huh. But that I think was a reality not so long ago. Yeah. It seems like you found a home in the spaces created by, by Martha or your theater company. And I've always noticed that weirdos tend to be so accepting and open. And, like, I don't mean weirdos in a bad way because I'm a weirdo and a half. No, we were just uh, talking about weirdos <laughs> at Austin, Texas. Yeah. But, keep like, Austin weird. Yeah. <laughs> keep Grinnell weird, too. Um, <laughs> but, like, weird in the sense of being a few standard deviations away from the middle of the bell curve of social normality. Mm-hmm. What's your take on, like, why why weird people are so, like – open and accepting have you have you felt that way yeah 
I wouldn't say that all weird people are open or something, <laughs> but I would say that if you've experienced any kind of like social alienation or being outcast, you know how painful that is. And so you don't want that to happen to other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who uh, is trans and I'm always scared for her because there's like a safety issue sometimes like, yeah, but she's so speaking of like telling the truth, like she's so bold and and kind of like loud mm. in any situation that I sometimes feel like her the truth protects her. Mm. Um, and she's also the kind of person who's like sending out this like good karma of like I don't want anyone to feel alienated or or isolated off to the side. So I'm really sending out this vibe of like I'm extending my hand out to you because that's what I would want. Too, and that's, mm. and I haven't experienced that open hand a lot in my life. Mm. Walking around the bell curve of society, yeah, <laughs> the center of the bell curve. So, so yeah, we were talking earlier today about like the price of assimilation, mm. and uh, talking about like how there's some safety in assimilating, and that that you know the fact that everyone knows what a you can't say you don't know what a drag queen is. Um, means that you could say that drag gets diluted mm -hmm. because it's it's part of the larger culture. But it also means that maybe gay people and gender nonconforming people are safer. Yeah. So it's a like everything in life. It's like a it's a two edged sword. Mm -hmm. Thinking about your. Performance tonight, um, we just had our semesterly drag show last weekend here at yeah. the college, but I imagine tonight's show might be a, a whole different affair. Um, how might you kind of cater your act to a, an audience like Grinnell, other than come and go jokes? <laughs> I'm going to make lots of jokes about come and go and that you're well endowed. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I move on from there... Um, I don't know. I probably will be pulling a little bit from my experience as a as a victim of small liberal arts college <laughs> and know, knowing exactly what that feels like. Uh -huh. and yeah, I still I feel like I have a lot to I I kind of wish I was here for a whole week so I could do mm -hmm. like research on the weird nooks and crannies yeah. of the Grinnell spirit. Uh huh. But I've done my research for the day and a half that I've been yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, mainly I'm gonna agree with whoever gave this town the name the something of the prairies the jewel of the prairie. jewel of the prairies because it's the architecture here is so gorgeous mm. so first i'm just gonna i'm gonna compliment everyone <laughs> on their good taste of living in a gorgeous town there we go and then and then i'll just like go from there alienate everyone with <laughs> by biting off the head off a rat no just kidding uh, <laughs> I'll do some crazy Yoko Ono shit. Nice. <laughs> well, thank you, Dito. Thank and you. And Martha for what will surely be an exciting performance and um, also for taking the time to talk of with course. us. Of course. That was a fun interview. And continuing to unleash Martha's spirit into the world. Unleash the dragon.
Dito performed as Martha Graham Cracker at Grinnell back in November, and may or may not have visited the fine establishment known as Rabbit's Tavern later that evening. Check out our webpage to find more information on Dito and Martha. Being there in the room for the performance is another level, but for now we're confined to the digital realm, so you can see some of Martha's performances on YouTube, and there's a link to Martha's original album, Lashed But Not Leashed, on Bandcamp as well. Follow Martha on Twitter at TheMarthaMan, Instagram at Martha underscore Graham underscore Cracker, and on Facebook as Martha Graham, where Dito's been doing some live videos recently. Dito got very into Grinnell when he visited, strolling around town, and even found his way into the bookstore to buy a Grinnell hat. He was genuinely curious about our little jewel on the prairie, and he even taught me something about Grinnell. I had no idea, but apparently Grinnell, the town, was going to be named Stella, but good old JB convinced the others that his name would be a good fit. As he said, a rare and concise name. And so modest, too. Well, thanks, JB, for making us always have to clarify, no, not Cornell, Grinnell. That's it for today's show. Music comes from Brett Newski, Martha Graham Cracker, and Poddington Bear. If you'd like to contact the show, email us at podcast at grinnell.edu or check out our website, grinnell.edu slash podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show to get new episodes when they come out. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to keep up with the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, pass it along to a friend and take care. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. Stay weird, Grinnellians. Safe inside my favorite easy chair. In the comfort of a book, I'll make myself a little nook. Where you can try to take a look.